Maven's Fractured Fairy Tales by Charlotte Henley Babb. Copyright 2012. Read by Glenn Nuzzles. These three stories are part of a series about Maven, Fairy Godmother. Ebooks are available from most ebook distributors such as Apple Books, Smashwords.com, along with print books that are available at Amazon.com. Bubba and the Beast Off-duty in the Twilight Lounge, Maven Morgan, fairy godmother, listened for those heartfelt words, I wish, while her best friend, Griselda the Troll, grumbled about the uh, -the under-the-bridge trade. Maven was glad to hear nothing. It had been a long day, and she turned several people into frogs out of sheer boredom. The Twilight uh, caters to folk looking for a chance for a change. The dress code requires an appropriate contrast of disguised persona to person. A good mix was present tonight. A hero further down the bar wore hunchback, and an elf in the corner had donned dragon skin. But one undisguised patron lurked at the end of the bar, staring at Maven, a frog prince who seemed vaguely familiar. He was ensorcelled, which must count as a magical persona here in the twilight, Maybe he thought the midnight transformation would break the spell. It wouldn't. Maven shook her head. I really gotta lay off that frog spell. How many had she transformed this week? Her wings drooped under the garb of Victorian evil stepmother persona, and her wand was heavy as half-life uranium, mostly lead but still radioactive. Maven took a swig of coffee that the lounge made just for her. No beer in fairy, and focused again on Griselda's woes. She didn't want to hurt Griselda's feelings, but it was bedtime. She didn't even care about uh, seeing who was who at the midnight. Griselda, in persona as a seven-foot-tall nanny goat, was as sick of butting heads with billy goats as Maven was of making wannabes into princesses. But the stories went out in the end. Griselda ate from a tray of random trash and held an earthen mug of tea and a cloven hoof. What you need is a vacation, Grizz said. Get away from the grind for a while. Thanks, but no thanks. Maven had met Grizz during her first week on the job, a near-death experience. Besides, where would I go? This is fairy, and I don't think you can get to paradise from here. I've spent too much time in mundane to go back there. Uh, Hang out under the bridge with me, Griselda said. Uh, Eat a goat or two, maybe ask a riddle. She ate a couple of tin cans off the appetizer tray. You could go around making magic for the pure in heart, Maven told her, smiling less than sweetly. Pass me the insulin, Griselda slurped tea and ate another tin can. Trolls are ravenous. It makes for short relationships. I could grant a few wishes, a sparkle here, a pumpkin there, nothing to it. She swizzled her hoof as if it were a wand, leaving a bit of sparkle like a jet trail. Not like arguing with a goat... I don't even like goat. Doesn't taste nearly enough like chicken. Uh, Wish granting's not that easy, Maven told her. Assess the situation, figure the appropriate limits, and then metamorphose the results. Grizz bleated, obviously unimpressed. Yeah, you could just eat them, and that would solve everything, less messy than frogs. Most of them would be better off with frogs, Maven held her coffee cup up to her lip, but she didn't drink. Real ones. 
Both kinds around here lately, Griselda nodded at the frog at the other end of the bar. I bet Fiona likes that. Try turning them into trolls. I'd like some company. Eh, you wish, she drained the coffee, and then raised her glass to the owl who stood in for Belle, the barkeep. Maven's boss had been less than forgiving about her turning offending princes and other layabouts into amphibians. The owl mournfully shook its head. Definitely time to go back to the pot and get some sleep. Okay, you asked for it, Griselda bleated. I wish you would find her a true love. She leaned one elbow on the bar and cocked her head to the side, more of a threatening dare than a pleading request. Maven reached for a wand, which beeped before she could retrieve it from her lace-encrusted sleeve. Duty calls, and uh, you're next in line, Grizz. A beep from headquarters calling meant she was in trouble, especially this late at night, but she went, ignoring this kind of beep was how she got herself in a position to meet Griselda the first time. She tightened up her wand sheath, set her empty cup on the bar where it disappeared, and slid off her Edwardian ice cream parlor stool. What had she done wrong now? Ah, just my luck, Griselda nodded at the frog. Poof, me a prince while you're gone. Even yawn ugly frog would do. In fact, he'd probably do better. You got him. Maven sent a little glamour spell to draw the frog to Grizz and left them to work it out. Maven poofed into fairy godmother superior Fiona's office, landing a bit heavily with her wings fluttering. She smoothed out her gossamers. Uh, assignment? Maven, we've received three complaints about you today, Fiona glanced at the crystal ball on her scriptorium desk, which monitored everything that happened in fairy. Just what is your problem? Complaints? Maven didn't even pull out her poker face. She hadn't heard anything. Ah, your magic is not biodegrading. A large squashed pumpkin carriage and the remains of a rat comfutman blocked traffic all morning after the ball in the far western kingdom. Why didn't they dematerialize at midnight? Uh, I have no idea, Maven shrugged. The pumpkin had been a little off, uh, but the rat had been okay. Maybe it was drinking during the ball. However, the client's dress did disappear while she was limping in one shoe back home. Fiona checked her information in the crystal ball again. Uh, she was locked up for indecent exposure and pandering. Didn't you use her rags? Uh, standard procedure? I decided to start from scratch. She was so dirty. Maven didn't mention that it took two spells to clean up the dirty under the ashes of that Cinderella. Uh, indeed. And another frog prince was seen at twilight tonight. Not in persona. Uh, that makes six this week. Fiona stood and crossed her arms. She stopped short of tapping her foot, which was either a good sign or a very bad one. Next time, Maven promised herself, she would turn the offender into a troll and let Griselda have her way with him and or eat him alive. She might have eaten the evidence already tonight if Maven had thought of it sooner. Fiona glared like an elementary principal, expressionless as a rock with steely eyes. She waited for an answer. Ten seconds. Eleven. Twelve. Yeah, the spell wears off, even without a kiss, Maven said, too tired to counter that look for long. They get good exercise and experience. They get to know the lower side of their kingdoms. Fiona indicated her huge, dusty ledger. Your record shows several disciplinary actions. Troll apprentice, dragon nursery, even a stint at magic doll. She smoothed a frizzy lock of hair. 
I do not have any recourse this time. Uh, give me your wand. Maven stood there flabbergasted. Fiona was taking away her magic. Maven would be mundane again. She hadn't been real in how long? But I still have a wish to grant. Fiona's bony, elegant hand extended, waiting expectantly. Maven tossed the wand on her desk, and her wings disappeared. Fiona had the grace to look a little sad. Eh, maybe you just need a vacation. Grant a wish before midnight, tomorrow local time, and you can have your wand back. We'll keep an eye on you. Right, Maven thought. How can I grant a wish with no wand? She said nothing. Fiona made a gesture across her crystal ball. Very godmother headquarters shimmered and disappeared. Maven found herself standing on a sidewalk by a two-lane road in some semi-civilized area. Compared to the humanity in her immediate location, frogs looked pretty good. It looked like payday in the mill village. Muddy pickup trucks and small rusty cars snuggled up to a cinderblock bar and grill like shouts to a sow. Maven took stock of her assets. She felt like she'd worked double shifts. She checked to see if she had money. So embarrassing to have to sell blood or find a job on these disciplinary holidays, especially with no ID and no good story about where she'd been for the last uh, however many years. For once, she was flush. She guessed it was payday after all. Fiona was serious about this last chance. Maven might have to get real the rest of her life. In fairy, to say get real to someone is grounds for homicide. Comments about one's mother are merely humorous in comparison. But the whole setup stank. This was just not like the other wishing quests. She turned up the volume on her bump of direction to let her intuition scan the immediate area, especially the building across the street. A wish was definitely brewing there. Maven decided to take advantage of having a real beer while she had the chance and to see who she could go home with, even if she had to buy several six-packs. If she were going to be human, she was definitely going to err in the flesh. Not so easy for someone her age, but there's more than one kind of magic. She thought Fiona must shoot up irony for breakfast. After all, the name of the bar was the Café Olay, and she needed a place to crash for the night. Inside, watching the various goings-on, she told Jolene, the waitress, that she was thirsty and settled in. She scratched an itch of intuition. Jolene was much too perky uh, for a place like this, and with that name, she had to be someone from central spellcasting, maybe even an apprentice fairy godmother. Even sans wand, Maven felt the wishes as the patrons stared by. With her wand, a lot of them would have gotten lucky. Real-world knowledge would have to serve. She needed hospitality for the night, but it was excessively early for anybody but to be ten feet tall and bulletproof. She drank another long one and propped up her feet for a long night. Then the primordial archetype, Redneck, slunk in. Probably on his own family tree in six different places. A guzzler's gut, yeah, gloss-lacquered, graying preacher hair, and a wallet chain jangling the hip of his creased jeans. Maven had been sent here to find him. She could smell an undercover job from beside a cat box, but why? Eh, Fiona's got more kinks in her mind than a serpentine chain from a hawk shop. Would she strand Maven here with him? Eh, do unicorns do it in the woods? Eh. He spoke to the waitress, she nodded, and he headed for her. Bingo!
Anybody sitting here? Uh, the Bubba asked. You, Maven took her feet off the chair across from her. She waved at it for him to sit down. He shuddered, uh, faintly. Maven was not even six-pack pretty back in the day, uh, a few decades ago. Feeling mutual towards him, a uh, slight interest still stirred. It must have been a long time, even in fairy years. He held out his hand. Uh, my name's Bubba. Uh, really? He sagged into the chair, bulging a bit over the sides. Hey, Bubba, really, I'm Maven. She reached out to shake hands, but he had focused on the jukebox as if he were trying to keep the last brew down and had forgotten about her. Jolene said, you might be able to help me, Bubba said. I know I'm not what today's woman is looking for. Don't even know how to play the game anymore. Yeah, yeah rules changed. Dunn tried all those newspaper and computer date things, you know. He didn't look at her, but shook his head in despair. Ain't nobody out there looking for me. Maven wondered about his personal ads. Single white Neanderthal with beer gut seeks single female fishing and hunting buddy with scaling knife and CDL license for trailer rocking. Bring own tools. Overalls optional. Send picture of truck. Uh, who are you looking for, Baba? I thought I wanted one of those pretty little blondes, you know, but they just work a man to death and don't ever give him no time to play. Ain't old, mind you, but I ain't as young as I once was either. Just want to enjoy living, and I want to enjoy it with a good woman who likes fishing and ain't got a weak stomach. He swallowed to clear his throat and then drained his beer to screw up his courage. She had to admire a man desperate enough to face rejection from an old woman he didn't even want. Does that sound good to you? He did risk a look at her face. Maven felt for him, like seeing a possum on the road two days just after it was hit. Bubba, when Jolene sent you to me, she did the right thing. I am a conjure woman with special powers and the second sight. His face went from white to fishbelly green. Selling him magic was the wrong approach. Maven had already forgotten she was in the Bible Belt. Maven backed up and stared over. Bubba, good things don't come easy. Take me home with you, and I'll fix you up so you'll get lucky before closing time tomorrow. Eh, he wasn't buying it. His head leaned over, and he studied her sideways out of the corner of his eyes. Eh, you ain't got a place to stay tonight? Eye for an eye, straight back. No... Uh, fact is, I don't. Uh, like you said, good things ain't easy. You come on home with me, and we'll figure out a trade. Fair enough, Maven touched his forearm, and when he jerked away, some of his arm fur stayed between her fingers. He didn't even wince. He paid for the beer, but she held Jolene aside just before they left. You tell Fiona I want my wand back now. I'm taking Bubba to the Twilight Lounge. I don't, she fiddled nervously with her pencil. Maven took a closer look at the pencil. Its aura was unusual for a yellow number two. She held out her hand for it and gave Jolene the elementary teacher's evil eye, adding the eyebrow arch. Jolene gave the pencil to her without a peep, definitely too inexperienced for this place. Eh, and tell Griselda the troll to meet us tomorrow. Maven wrote Bubba's name on the door jam as we went out and stuck one of his arm hairs on with a drop of spit. Nobody would be wiping this doorway down for the next 24 years, much less the next 24 hours. When he walked back in, he'd be in the Twilight Lounge. 
If Jolene got word to Griselda, Maven to be back on the job before Fiona could enjoy missing her. If not, well, getting real was something she had experience with, too. The ride home in Bubba's new Suburban showed him to be a man of resources. Not only money, but lots of peace and quiet, as well as local herbs along the way, uh, that she needed uh, for the kind of magic she could do in reality. Pokeberries and sassafras grew along his dirt driveway, and rabbit tobacco graced the skeletal remains of a 52 Chevy Coupe in his backyard. He brought her to his parlor, where animal trophies hung over ancient, uh, uh, uncomfortable furniture. He disappeared into the kitchen for a few minutes and brought back two cups and a teapot, real china, and a tarnished silver tray. Uh, I don't keep food in the house. But her granny always said I'd get along better if I served a lady sassafras tea. So she was a conjure woman, too? Maven sat, perched on the edge of a chair with all the grace and comfort of a wrought iron slag. Yeah, he set the tray on a side table. He picked up his teacup and drank deeply inside. So you know all these secrets, Bubba. And you don't have a lady friend? You got an arsenal growing by the road that should have you knee-deep in women. I've tried potions and charms. I can get them to love me, but I can't get me to love them. Love plants are pure poison, too, you know. I shouldn't say this, but... I see. No, don't tell me anything I don't need to know. The third oldest story. The remedy for the love disease is always more of what bit you. And like snakebite, if you don't drain the venom, it kills you. No, you can't help me with magic. Bubba set his teacup on the tray and folded his hands across his lap. I gotta find me someone to love, and someone to love me, just for me. Then look for the person on the inside, and let someone find the inside of you. Nobody even wants the outside without a potion. Even rednecks of substance can have low self-esteem. She'd been there, and was there again. That's my job, even so, a little magic might help things along, like your granny said. Uh, what's the price? Maven let her defenses down and met his eyes straight on, so he could see that she was not lying. I can go back to the other side if I can help you. Ooh, you're not lying, no tricks. He searched her face, her posture. She held out her hands, palms up and open. No, get some sleep. But I thought, he looked at her like a puppy that had just been kicked. Baba, don't think. If this doesn't work out, I will stay here myself and love only you. But I am immune to pokeberry poison. You understand? He went, fish belly on her again. She put him to bed and got to work. Pokeberries are luscious, purple, and highly toxic, and officious, cathartic. Sassafras has hallucinogenic and aphrodisiac effects if prepared properly and in strong enough doses. And the rabbit tobacco was to smudge the kitchen clean of previous magic. By dawn, Maven had the potions cooking. Bubba's granny must have been Fiona in her former life, judging from the depth and extent that the magic had soaked into the kitchen. Even the greasy dust uh, glowed in the dark. No wonder Bubba didn't keep food there. Finally, by dark the next evening, the potions, Bubba and Maven were ready. He was slicked up uh, and polished down to his snakeskin boots and deer antler concho. She handed him some pokeberry cordial. Bubba eyed her suspiciously, but he swallowed it. Ain't I uh, good enough for her like I am? Uh, of course you are, Bubba, but all females like romancing, and it will make her more appealing to you. 
She's that ugly, huh? About that time, his love life became the least of his worries as he fled to the bathroom. Once he was cleaned up, uh, inside and out, she gave him the sassafras potion, and they headed back to Café Ole. Close your eyes, Bubba. You gotta trust me on this. She shook him by the arm. Now things'll be a mite strange at first, but you'll like it when you see it. He shook his head and hung onto her arm. If this doesn't work, you gonna stay with me, Maven? I crossed my heart and hoped to spit. When they crossed the threshold, they were in the Twilight Lounge, wide open and full of beings, some of whom she recognized, including the waitress from the cafe, and others either new to her or better disguised than she could recognize without her wand. No Griselda, though. Keep your eyes closed, and don't worry about seeing unusual things. It's just the sassafras. Teach your granny to suck eggs, he said, but he did as she asked. Pencils eh, don't make the best wands, but she used Jolene's to sketch herself into a frog princess. Might as well let the locals have a few hoots, and it would look like poetic justice if Fiona heard about it. She eats paybacks for lunch. Bubba became Rhett Butler, ears, grin, and all. Okay, Bubba, you can look, Bubba muttered. Shoot fire, woman, and walked her to a booth at the edge of the dance floor. Still no Griselda. Meanwhile, she scanned for a plan B mate for the matchless redneck. Several singles sat at strategic spots around the floor, all with good views of the door and their backs to the wall. Another fairy godmother, as a drag queen, her transformed prince frog from yesterday, Grizz hadn't eaten him, after all, a couple of elves slumming his hobbits. Maven sent a firefly messenger to Griselda's bridge, not home. Even the goats were gone. If she had a real wand, she looked at the pencil. Hmm. Pencils are for writing. And what is written in fairy comes true. The main reason for illiteracy on that other side, writing can be dangerous. She wrote on an empty spot on the table. Grizz. Wish granted. Maven. Back at Bubba's table, they waited. She gave him more sassafras, enough so that she started looking good. Eh, an hour later... He wanted her to just go back home with him. It was nearly eleven. The crowd thickened, whispering about the couple, making book on what the deal was and who would end up on top. Fiona was getting three to one over her. The frog prince scowled, something stewing in his little green brain. Maven tried again, growing desperate not to return to mundane with Bubba. She wrote a spell on a napkin and called Jolene over to read it aloud. She was undercover not under suspicion of disbelief. Griselda eh, came in three minutes later. Eh, she wore a colorful gypsy persona, a trolling expedition if Maven ever saw one. The pencil nearly jumped out of her hand when she scanned Griselda. She was definitely the one for Bubba, if she would have him and not eat him too. She met Grizz at the bar with a dark and purple drink. You got too big a butt uh, to play green slimy, Griselda said, taking the drink from Maven and peering into it. Why did you need me to come down here? If I had my wings, Maven said, I wouldn't need a big butt to land on. She slid onto the toadstool besides Grizz. Hey, you, on the other hand, have an ungranted wish. Eh, uh, where's your wand? She glanced at the frog prince who seemed to be getting up his nerve to approach Maven. Something to do with uh, yon web-footed wonder following you? Undercover. 
Only the most naive believe that Maven was on their side, worse than working for the government. So you want to stay here and dissolve yourself into Dragon's Bane, or do you want to try a blind date? Blind would likely be the best bet, Griselda frowned at her. Oh, how about a human? Maven smiled and nodded toward Rhett back at the booth. Griselda's persona wavered as she fought gustatory desire. Uh, just don't eat him until you have a chance to get to know him. I was human once myself. Maven began to feel a bit desperate. Time was moving along, uh, never at an even pace in fairy, but accelerating every moment toward midnight and mundane. Yeah, that's not saying much for him. Grizz looked over her shoulder and then swung her head back around in a jangle of jewelry. Are you going to glamour me up uh, so he won't run screaming into the night? No, I don't have my wand, Maven said, trusting Griselda to hear the truth. If he can't handle the real you, uh, then have him for supper. Grizz uh, shook her head and bit her bottom lip. That's your problem, Maven. You still think reality exists. You should have gotten over that by now, a human failing. What's this uh, guy's name? Bubba. Grizz chugged her drink. Eh, figures. I'll give him an hour and you keep wand off. After that, well, best as I remember, redneck tastes a lot like goat. Doesn't everything, more or less? She laughed. That's him, she nodded at Bubba. He smiled back. Griselda's face took on an anxious look. Sure, give me a few minutes to freshen up. It was uh, more than a few minutes. Maven had given her five times Bubba's dose. He was waiting for her at her booth. When she returned, her dress was laced tight to display all her charms. Maven wished she'd given Bubba more sassafras. Still, he was gallant and gracious, ordering Griselda another drink, complimenting her eyes and holding her red-stained claw in his hand. The first half hour flew while they talked hunting, fishing, mud-bogging, surviving in the wild. Maybe Bubba would survive until midnight, when the illusions vanished. If not, well, he told her he had disappeared more than one blonde from his kitchen. His demise would be only justice, and Maven would be back in the Café Olay, an old human female with no prospects. Eh, that would never do. They talked, eh, they danced, and all was well until 11.55, when her view was blocked by the pale, damp belly of the prince frog, his crown askew on his flat head, his cape mildewed and clammy. Uh, may I join you, madam? Yeah, sure. Just get out of my line of sight. Every click of the clock brought Bubba closer to Griselda. Five more minutes, and she would be wands singing and wings soaring, much to Fiona's chagrin. Two wishes, uh, and the same story. A uh, two-worlds record. If not, then she had to rescue Bubba and fulfill her promise to him herself. She couldn't really let Griselda eat him. The frog swelled up and hunkered like a boulder. Madam, he croaked again, I require your attention. Save it, swamp thing, I'm busy. Maven wrote a small runic designs on her napkin to make good luck for her love trolls. The frog prince snatched the pencil and snapped it across his bony knee. Well, listen to me. You got me into this mess and I want out now. You just broke my last scrap of magic, wart face. Yeah, I gotta find yourself a maiden to kiss. I tried that. Your boss says only your kiss can break your spell. Eh, do what? Maven squirmed in her seat, trying to look around his bulk. Look, I'm trying to get my wings and her powers back. And you will just have to wait. 
I can't do anything for you right now. The prince began bullfrog singing to drown out her voice. Patrons were staring. Yeah, the odds scrolled up ten to one for Fiona. Griselda and Bubba strolled toward the door, eye locked in rapture. The clock began striking twelve. The lights dimmed to dramatize the transformation. Maven's wand was broken and her path blocked. Would Bubba be a midnight snack when his darling's true form appeared? Rustlings and hissings filled the room. Now kiss me, witch, the frog prince said and swept her off her large butt and long webbed feet with his strong if short green arms. Ever been French kissed by a frog? Maven remembered how long it had been since she had been kissed, since she was held in a passionate embrace, since she made a wish. She forgot Grizz and Bubba, and she forgot magic. She forgot that Fiona eats romance novels for supper. When they came up for air, not something frogs have to do often, it felt like dawn for a breathless prince and a refrocked fairy godmother. He wrapped his cape around her, ah, offering to take her home. On the table beside them was Maven's wand and wings. A dim firefly handed Maven a message and a dirty look. Took you long enough. Here, no charge. Need a response. She opened the envelope to find an invitation. Grisilda of the Bridge of Boggy Creek and Grimshaw Jeter, a.k.a. Bubba, from the other side request the honor of your presence in sharing mud, blood, and cud at their joining at the rising of the next full moon. I'll be there, she told the firefly. Meanwhile, I'm taking that vacation everyone says I need. She turned to the prince. My swamp are yours. Maven Stillskin The first thing uh, Maven learned in fairy godmother training was not to grant her own wishes. But she had this new wand, after all, gussied up with an amethyst crystal tied on to a new twig of white willow with the finest gossamer, and she figured it needed some wood shedding before she used it on a client. So Maven went into the woods, taking off a year and a day. Just for practice, she tried out all the old wishes from her girlhood. She had already been transformed into a cat and a frog, so she tried being a bird and a butterfly. Each had its positive aspects, but it just wasn't as transformative experience as she wanted. Her one impossible wish as a girl had been to be a boy. Boys didn't have to sit still or do embroidery or keep their knees together. They could run, and shout, and have fun, and the only excuse was that they were and always would be boys. She always wondered how the other half lived, and this was her chance to find out. The first thing she learned was that uh, with this new wand, pronunciation and spellcasting was very important. What she had in mind was to look like the king of elves, tall with pointed ears and slender with jewel-like eyes. When the dust settled, however, she saw in her mirror a chubby, sweating dwarf with a large pompadour, yeah, white bell-bottoms and jeweled cape. Bless him a soul, she cried. Uh, what's wrong with me? I'm a standing here only three foot three. This is shock. I'm all shook up. So she spun the fairy dust over herself again, spoke slowly and carefully, and became not a boy, eh, but a wizened little man, complete with a long beard and a crumpled pointy hat covering a bald spot and a fringe of frizzy hair eh, behind a pointed set of ears, a dwarfish sort of elf. She, he, changed his name to Marvin, 
and moved into the great forest to discover himself and get some perspective from the other side of the gender fence. First, he had to learn new protective movements, as his soft places were in very different areas, and while he had the look, he did not have the muscle knowledge. It was painful for a few weeks. His beard, for one thing, kept getting caught on things. He'd never worn his hair long, but even that would hang behind him. The beard was in front, blocking his hands and line of sight at whatever he's doing. He had also acquired a sudden taste for gold and jewels, a dwarfish trait, which meant that he was doing a lot of digging. Sometimes that dratted beard would get under the shovel. He would stomp down to turn a piece of landscape, and the beard would jerk his head nearly off his shoulders. Then he would lose his temper and try to disappear anything in his path, his elvish side. Eh, cut it off? Never. It represented a history of manhood, a lifetime, which really is just over a month, but in fairy, a month can be plenty long enough. Besides, cutting it hurt. Eh, Marvin eh, was sure... That wasn't right, like Samson and his hair, his beard was connected so firmly that cutting it was like cutting his intestines. But he soon learned to protect it and keep it combed and shaped, though its texture was worse than a ugh, bad perm. One day, uh, he went out fishing, as even elvish dwarves have to eat, requiring more solid food than fairy godmothers. But he had no luck. The fish weren't biting. The wind kept pushing his hook against submerged branches in the deep shadows, and at one point, and his whole line snagged and tied itself around his beard. He was so frustrated uh, that he threw his birch pole down, breaking it, and stomped off toward his cave, dragging it behind him. The line caught on every bit of underbrush, yanking his chin and trying to pull his lovely beard out by its roots. He finally sat down to calm himself and straighten out the mess with the fishing line. He could not get the line loose. It must have been the famous combination of greater strength and lack of fine motor skills men are blessed with. He had lost his knife in the struggle, and he had made the magic fishing line an 80-pound test so that it could not get loose. Marvin felt the hormone surge of adrenaline and testosterone coming on his Blood pressure rose and heated up his face. I yelled, screamed, cursed, jumped, and tore at his hair, oblivious uh, to the world around him. Uh, can we help? A young, green-eyed blonde asked his obviously amused by this predicament. Her companion, an onyx-eyed brunette, clamped her hand over her face to stop her giggles. Uh, she looked vaguely familiar, like a daughter of someone he knew. Uh, get me loose, Marvin cried. But before he could even move, the blonde snipped off the end of his beard where the line was knotted. He screeched in pain. His honor clipped. His manhood shortened. Ah! By the time she got through screaming, the girls were gone, their laughter echoing through the forest. Marvin went back to his cave and threw himself on his pallet, vowing revenge. He played with his jewels and gold until he could calm himself enough to sleep. That night, his new wand dispatched him to a local palace dungeon where he found a comely peasant girl sobbing at a spinning wheel, surrounded by sheaves of straw. Her father had told the king some tall tale about her ability to transform straw into gold. Why anyone would want spun gold was beyond him, but kings are generally not interested in the form of the gold as long as it is in the coffers. 
Meanwhile, the peasant girl had to figure out how to make the gold or plan to die in the morning. She said her father just wanted to get rid of her without having to pay out a dowry. A woman's tears are a powerful force, calling forth some chemical response that makes the man suddenly offer to do stupid things like solving her problems. It didn't affect Marvin that way when she was herself, but something about the tears undid his body chemistry. The girl continued crying while Marvin was thinking, which gave him an insight into the male point of view. The caterwauling interfered with his magic. Her woman's intuition was not completely buried in the male brain. But he never realized how much the smaller head interferes with thinking. It must be because that brain is outside. Now, women most definitely think with a little inner brain. Uh, but it is inside, unseen, a magnetic force. Men have more of a grappling hook approach. Breaks concentration. Wonder why it didn't work on the peasant girl's dad. The peasant girl had a more serious problem. If the king saw her as the answer to the exchequer, the best she could hope for was being locked in a dungeon forever, up to her neck in straw. After all, why would a king marry a golden goose if he could get free eggs? Marvin told the girl that he could spin the gold, but he wanted something in return. Eh, for one thing, it would get her mind off her problem and she might stop weeping. Marvin's coffers weren't so full either. Marvin thought about uh, asking for a kiss, eh, but definitely did not want a peck on the cheek or a smooch on the top of his nearly bald head, so he asked what spinning the gold was worth to her. And the girl gave up her mother's ring, barely ten carat, and a poorly cut topaz. But Marvin took it. He cleaned out a corner to sit in, out of the way, and pronounced a sleepy spell and laid a medium powerful glamour on the girl as well to get the king's uh, mind out of the counting house when he came to check on her in the morning. He waved his new wand and spun himself around three times, creating a dust devil. It swirled among the straw, picking up bits and pieces, lengthening them and thinning them into hair-like strands and rolling them up into skeins of silky gold threads. Maybe this gold would be the girl's wedding dress. He took a couple of skeins for himself and left the peasant sleeping. The full moon made everything beautiful. So Marvin decided to walk home. The wind carried laughter and dancing, making him feel young and uh, mischievous. He tried a handspring and nailed it. Funny how different bodies do different tricks. He saw a fence and decided to walk it, balancing more easily than the cat he shooed away with his foot. Big mistake. Next thing he knew, he had missed his footing, fallen and hung by his beard with no ground below him. He couldn't get a hold of the pickets to pull himself up, and he dropped his wand in struggling to get it out of his pocket. He howled in frustration and pain, hoping to waken some of the good townsmen to get loose. Uh, the cat came back, a black one with green eyes, and brought two friends, a tabby and a gray. Yeah, they sat and watched him struggle, grooming themselves, and finally they slunk into the darkness. Seconds later, his lady friends from the forest came to the rescue. Ah, poor baby, the dark one said. Scuppy, hold him up. The blonde lifted him under his arms like a four-year-old. Okay, musky. Muskie hauled out her scissors before he could protest and cut his chin hair in half. I screamed. They laughed, dropped him, and disappeared like the cats. He found his wand and transported himself home. 
mutilated and humiliated. Too convenient for an accident. They would not catch him again while he still had a beard left. At midnight, eh, the next night, his wand buzzed again. More straw to spin. The girl was only sniffling a little, hurt because the king was more interested in the gold than in the gorgeous. The king's men had dumped a lot more straw in the dungeon this time, and some of it already used. A chance for a creative challenge. This time, Marvin made the girl give up uh, her pocket scissors so she could outwit those snippy forest girls. The girl was more reluctant to give up the scissors than a ring, but did so, women, uh, and their cutting tools. Marvin put a double whammy enchantment on the miller's daughter, nearly falling in love with her himself, then transformed the straw into gold. The other organic matter became dozens of colorful golden frisbees. No doubt the king's men would soon learn the usefulness of toys for military activities. He went home early to rest up for the third night. The stories always did things in threes. He slept late, uh, then went in search of the home of the raven-haired giggler, and the canary-haired barber, he found a little whitewashed cabin in a clearing surrounded by trellises of nearly ripe grapes, black muscadines and green scuppernongs. The girls were inside, eh, talking and laughing, with an older woman over a rustic lunch. Maven's boss, the fairy godmother superior Fiona, was apparently on sabbatical, too, with a couple of her protégés. Who was running the store? Muscadine stayed in the water and scared away all the fish, the blonde one said, her hands swimming across the table. Then Scuppy twisted the breeze just a little, the dark one said, breathless from laughing. It caught the fishing line and tied it in a double slip knot right around the end of his beard. He broke his rod and stomped into the forest, screaming, I thought it would croak, Scuppy said. He felt his wand finger itching. Scuppy might be croaking sooner than she thought. He'd have to bide his time, though. Frog-making is unmanly. Neither elfish nor dwarfish. Frog-gigging, however. Be careful, Fiona said, holding a glass of dark red juice. This Rumpelstiltskin is as powerful as anyone we have ever trained. If he catches on, you may regret it. She set the glass down. We need to get back to tending to the grapes and getting ready for making the wine. I need to check in with headquarters. With that... Fiona turned around to a table to log into her crystal ball. Beside it was the dreaded ledger and pen, a titanium quill. What's fairy coming to when even fairy godmothers telecommute? The girls cleared the table, and Marvin cleared out for home before they discovered him. Regret is not exactly what he had in mind for the giggling girls, but it would do for a start. That night... The dungeon had been packed to the rafters with the horse manure, some of it still steaming. The king liked the flying discs so much that he wanted more of those. And the gold was just a secondary thing. He noticed that the girl was calm tonight, not crying, perhaps a bit overpowered by the stench, perhaps merely confident in his abilities and beneficence. Marvin found himself asking the girl's firstborn child to be given up in a year. Not that he wanted it. Sometimes the story just takes over and makes things happen. Yeah, the girl agreed quickly. Marvin put the most extravagant glamour on her that he could whip up, wondering if the king might not be of the straight persuasion. Still, the third time was usually the charm, and he had other things in mind. He didn't even look at the girl when he wove the last spell on her. His work was done. 
He stacked the discs to the rafters and went home early to plan some entertainment for Fiona's girls. One thing Marvin had noticed in this part of Fairy, the locals are just not up on the diversity of stories from other cultures. Nobody here knows about Coyote or Br'er Rabbit, which made his plan all the more devious. He built himself a tar baby, not out of tar, but of honey, ah, clay, flowers, and pretty stones. He used the skeins of gold to make hair for his honey baby, just as pretty a child as one might find in a picture book. Then he put a tingling, sticky spell on the whole thing and poofed it up to the path where Muscadine and Scuppernog could be stumbling across it. Soon enough, uh, two girls chattered by and, attracted to the sparkle, stopped to investigate. Scuppernog uh, reached for the golden hair and Muscadine reached out to stop her just as she touched the honey baby. Then they tried to pull each other away, each time sticking together at any point where their bodies touched. They might rip a hand loose only by tearing a skirt or ripping a bodice. By the time he came out of hiding, they looked like two WWF stars during a throw-her-out-of-the-ring grudge match. He walked around them once or twice, all sorts of appropriate sayings going through his head, but just letting them know who'd done it was enough. Need some help, ladies? he asked as gallantly as possible while stifling the urge to roll crackling into the path. Or is this just some female bonding? Don't touch her, Scuppernog said. She doesn't want to get stuck to the likes of you. Her eyes were like phaser blasts. I don't think so, Muscadine said. She tossed her head, which made more of her long, dark hair stick to Scuppernog. Whom did she look like? I wouldn't want to insult your intelligence or independence by barging in. He strolled away. Have a nice day. He was around the bend and almost out of sight before one of them called. Hey, uh, come back. His revenge would be sweet. He would cut off their hair with the peasant's iron scissors, well sprinkled with fairy dust, which should cancel the spells they used for disguise. It would hurt, too, just like his beard. There was much screeching and yelping, but each of them was too proud to cry. Thank goodness they were finally separated from the honey baby and from each other. Scuppernog changed into a fairy godmother Marvin didn't know, but Muscadine aged beyond even herself. She became Belle, proprietor of the Twilight Lounge, where all the fairy goes for socialization in R&R. Eh, going to throw us in the briar patch? Belle glared from under her hurricane haircut, making Marvin take a step back. I'm not throwing you anywhere. I release you. Marvin felt more defensive than he expected. Oh, but it would be a good story when they all got back to the Twilight Lounge. He bowed, said goodbye, skipped down the path, dodging into a convenient briar patch, aiming far away from his lodgings at his cave. Meanwhile, back at the palace, the king finally had enough frisbees to arm the entire standing army. At any time of the day or night, a heavy, glittering disc might whiz across the quad by one's head. At length, eh, the king looked at the peasant girl and fell completely in love, marrying her the same day. Marvin reminded himself to be careful next time, though. The poor girl turned out to be six feet tall, as skinny as a Vogue model, and had the rattiest-looking hair he could imagine. Uh, the king liked her. Marvin spent the next few months in the woods, studying spellcraft, swapping lies with Iron John, and generally liberating fish from Isaac's puddle, 
down below the man's cave. His neighbors had vacated the cabin after grape harvest. All was peaceful, except for an occasional frisbee escaping from the constant practice sessions. Marvin returned to the castle. Having planned the special effect from hell to go back on regular duty, the queen and he would go through the name game, and whatever she said last, that would do. The nursery was in an uproar. Toys, clothes, and diapers were strewn everywhere. The queen paced the floor with her hands over her ears, and the baby shrieked itself to exhaustion. My queen, Marvin said, appearing in the nursery chamber as the queen picked up her screaming infant. The time has come for her payment. Give me the child. Oh, I'm so glad to see you, she said. This brat's been nothing but trouble from the day she was born. The queen handed him the howling bundle, tiny, helpless and dripping. I thought the king was going to kill me when I had a girl. Take her and good riddance. Marvin stood dumbfounded. As the baby grabbed his beard and yanked, the queen tossed together a sack of supplies and then pushed him toward the door. You could just poof out of here like always, she said. A deal was a deal, and a man is his word. Marvin shifted the supplies into the crook of his arm and poofed both of them back to his cave to figure out what to do next. From the smell, the baby's immediate problem was obvious. He changed her and wondered uh, what to do with the remains. The baby quit crying and looked up at him with a most delicious smile. What kind of mother could ever given up so golden a child Marvin would manage, even if he had to take the baby back to mundane? But for now, the baby might support them both with her new stock in trade, uh, golden flying discs. Maybe some other metal, as gold was getting way too common for good trade. Uh, platinum? Marvin's financial vision of the future was dimmed by a dark shadow entering the cave. Fiona on official business with Belle and the other fairy godmother. Eh, what do you think you're doing? She pointed her bony finger at the baby. You can't raise a child. I can do well as that fool in the castle. Marvin clutched the child to his chest, feeling that he would kill to protect her. It was the princess's idea anyway. Eh, give her to me. Eh, no. He got ready to set his special effect in motion. I know your true name. I don't have a name here. Five more seconds and they would escape. You forgot who keeps the records, Rumpelstiltskin. The baby, whose name she never learned, flew from her arms into Fiona's just as the ground opened and dropped her, not into her hideout, but right in front of Fiona's desk. A contract lay there with Marvin's name at the top and Rumpelstiltskin lettered in at the bottom. A drop of her blood landed beside the name as she transformed back to her female self, Maven. All she had to show for her adventure was a golden frisbee and a few chin hairs that just wouldn't be plucked out. Fairy Frogmother Maven Morgan, fairy godmother extraordinaire, stood in the middle of a road deep in the forest, wondering if it were eh, worthwhile to transform one more ash-covered wench into a princess. Eh, it was late, not yet sunset, but dark under the ancient trees. Her wand hung heavy in her hand, and her weary wings would not lift her off the ground. She didn't think she could even swizzle up enough energy to poof herself home. Just once, she muttered, uh, I wish a handsome prince would notice me. No sooner thought than said, no sooner said than one prince, handsome as requested, appeared galloping frantically. 
he was headed right for Maven as hard as he could ride. Eh, get out of the way, old one, he yelled. Move it. His horse's hooves scattered dirt and leaf mold in his wake. Maven could smell the horse's sweat as she reached for her wand and snapped it toward the prince. Maven's wand eh, arced, sending a hex to turn the hapless prince into a frog. There was plenty of energy for that spell in her anger alone. The green sparkles nearly blinded her as the horse reared and shied away. Sparks flew, and the shockwave knocked Maven off her feet. Rumbling hoofbeats on the road urged her to scramble out of the way, but instead of running, Maven leapt. She narrowly escaped being trampled by five horsemen hastening after the prince. Her heart uh, pounded for a few seconds before she realized how low she lay to the ground and, and how uh, wet her skin was. Reaching up to feel her face, uh, she saw her hand had become four webbed fingers on a pale green palm. She felt for her wings, which were still anchored behind her shoulder blades, but her gossamer dress had disappeared, as had her hair. Maven had turned herself into a uh, frog. Croaking expletives, Maven searched for her wand. It lay miraculously unbroken in the roadway, now longer than her whole body. She grasped it with eight tiny fingers, braced the handle against the dusty road, and swung with all her weight, mumbling the spell through her body-wide mouth. Eh, magic showered down, but nothing happened. At least, she still had some magic. Maven dragged the wand out of the dust, which was fast drying on her skin. She could smell water only a few leaps away. She crawled through the leaf mold, learning that webbed feet were not designed for walking. Finally, reaching the creek, she plopped in to re-slime her skin. She needed backup. It wasn't going to be pretty, but she might as well face it now. A soggy maven... "'landed on the desk of Fiona, fairy godmother superior, "'who was scribbling arcane notes in their ledger. "'Fiona's silver hair wasn't tarnished. "'Her wings trailed dusty cobwebs. "'Maven eh, sympathized. "'How did Fiona manage to deal with magic disasters through the centuries?' "'Fiona glanced up, glaring at the interruption without appointment. "'Her eyes met Maven's. "'Her mouth eh, began to twitch. "'She snickered and then laughed until dust and cobwebs went flying. "'You have a... Taste of your own favorite spell, she said, wiping her tears. How many people have you turned into frogs this cycle? Maven dripped silently. Fiona pulled her crystal ball from her desk drawer and called up Maven's files. She giggled, the cackle of a crone with the snigger of a teenage girl who had finally gotten the best of a rival. This prince uh, appears to wear a wardstone from the head of a frog. Your spell interacted with that one, and it was enforced by a covering counterspell. Someone wants him well protected. I don't suppose you know who he is or what he was. All I can remember is nearly being trampled. Ah, you wished him there. I have discussed your habit of speaking aloud before. Now, do you see what kinds of difficulty you can cause, even if you do not intend to grant yourself a wish? Uh, do you see why it is not done? Sometimes the only correct answer is yes, ma'am. Fiona ran the scenario again, magnified in slow motion. I'd say this is the son of a Terran, a fairy godmother who crowned herself queen of a forest on the lower east side of fairy. He looks uh, to be the right age. You have conflicted with your predecessor. She disappeared when the castle of Nui was destroyed. 
Maven was glad to hear that it was at least one disaster was not blamed on her. Only Terran can undo this spell. Her magic is as strong as yours is, and just as unconventional. I hope your gift for Blarney will help you here. Fiona consulted her ledger. You are slated for counseling on Fairy Godmother Burnout next cycle. Perhaps you can find Terran and ask her to accompany you. Oh, yes, Maven sippered. I'll just hop into her keep and say, How about a makeover for me, your highness, and then we'll just beander on home for a little head-shrinking after. I'm sure she'll be all for it, Maven sighed. She missed having eyebrows to glare under. Think for a moment, said Fiona. You might start with the prince and find out why he's running. In the meantime, you can grant any wishes which originate in frogdom. I can't grant wishes like this. I can barely lift my wand. You are not ill nor without magic, and you are on the payroll. Do your best, and I shall keep an eye on you. Before Maven could answer, Fiona poofed her back to the creek. More pressing matters grabbed Maven's attention. A large group of frogs converged on her. More frogs than she had ever seen. Green and yellow frogs, some with uh, uh, red eyes, some with spots, some with tattered webs on their feet. Others... Swelling out their throats at a belch that complains. Big frogs, tiny frogs, even a toad or two, all hopping, leaping, uh, crawling toward her, all angry and croaking loud enough to deafen a giant. Maven tried to remember if frogs ate each other, uh, but found her amphibian lore sorely lacking. In a moment, she was surrounded. Then the yelling started. Uh, change me back. Yeah, me too. It's about time we frogs had somebody to grant our wishes. All the frogs had wishes, and most of them involved transformation back to being human. Maven held up her wand, trying to listen to all of them, or any of them, to get some idea of why they had all appeared just then, what they wanted, and what she could do about it. Fiona did not like coincidences, so she did not likely cause this plague. The main thread she could hear among all the croaking and wailing was these women who had been frogged were very tired of being green. Maven strained again to grasp the wand and prepared to jump, hoping that if she could hang on to the wand in midair, it would wave enough to cover at least a few of them. Her quote-unquote hands began to cramp, clutching the shaft as she straddled the grip. She fluttered her wings as much as she could, but it didn't help much. She vaulted, eh, ribbiting every cancelling spell she could think of, landing in water, still clutching her wand. She kicked her way to a launching surface and tried again, this time aiming for the creek bank. Curses were muttered in the frog chorus, imprecations of doom, death, disease, and disfigurement against Queen Terran. Maven established that if a frog had wings, it would still bump its butt. One voice, very small, seemed to have a different request. Maven sought its source as she rested from her futile spelling. Uh, please, will you help me? Asked a small frog with large emerald green eyes. Well, these frogs are real women, and they talk all the time about how wonderful it is to be human. I wish I were human. Uh, can you make me human? Fiona had told her to answer requests. It's worth a try, little one, Maven bounded once more, croaking one more general spell of mutation from frog to human. Only one woman appeared, a long-legged siren with emerald eyes and long webbed fingers. Maven wove a dress from the mud on her skin. The frog chorus, uh, shut up, 
Amazed at the success of the transformation, Maven cast another spell to keep them that way long enough to get some answers. You really are my fairy frog mother, the woman said. You granted my wish. That's what I do, honey. What's your name? I am Adori. Do you think the prince would like me? What do you know about a prince? They, she waved a webbed hand at the pond, etc., have had to follow him ever since they got turned into frogs. They have to get something from him to go back to being women. Do you think you would like me? Maven saw the seed of an idea. You know how it is with magic, she said. You have to get him to love you, even when you're a frog. It might be best to find him first and then tell him the truth. Murmurs came from the bog as the silencing spell wore off her. Magic was slipping. Why can't you free us? She's just a frog. I'm a real princess. You are not. You're a dairy maid. Who ever heard of a fairy frog mother? Ladies, ladies, calm you, Maven croaked. I've already tried all the spells I know. I can't undo someone else's magic. Maybe if you fill me in on this queen you're cursing and her prince, I can get her to change you back. The woods filled with the protesting croaks of dozens of desperate frogettes. But as the night faded into pre-dawn, Maven gathered the elements of a plan. Any female within five feet of Prince Irwin, only son to Queen Taran, became short, uh, green, and slimy. Most of them were caught in the moat around the castle, which was surrounded by a magic desert. The queen evidently uh, liked their singing. These... Woodland frogs, uh, however, were mostly maidens who had ventured unknowingly or purposely to near the prince as he fled the queen's magic. Unfortunately, the frogettes were drawn to him like flies to roadkill. Even as they told Maven their stories, they hopped through the forest searching for him. At dawn, he was discovered sleeping on a bedroll covered with a cloak, his horse tethered nearby. He had doubled back into the forest to escape both his trackers and any unsuspecting village maidens. Maven hopped forward, telling Midori to stay hidden. She shushed the frogs, making the forest dawn suddenly quiet. The prince sat up, eh, startled. He stared into the dark, seeing only dozens of pairs of bulging eyes. His escape was cut off by frogs on all sides. Uh, I hate frogs, he said mournfully. I know you can't help it, but please, just leave me alone. We'd love to, your highness, Maven said, but we need your assistance. That stone you wear causes all the havoc. If you could remove it. Only my mother can take it off, he said, or a woman who is not affected by the spell. He rubbed the sleep out of his eyes and studied Maven with her wand. And you uh, cannot use your counter spells either, uh, witch frog. But go ahead and try. Your magical folk are all stubborn, as I well know. In magic, eh, the rules must be followed, but only to the letter. The worker sets her own intent. Maven pretended to try enchanting the prince, but instead laid a protection spell on Midori and glamour to hide her true form. Neither a sparkle nor a flash came from her wand. Eh, can I go now? He got up and packed his small camp, jerking his bedroll from beneath the frogs that had climbed aboard. Uh, we can't stop you, Maven said, but your highness, I entreat you. Take me back to your mother and let me reason with her to free all these maidens. Might as well reason with a dragon for its horde, the prince said. It is useless anyways. If I do not find a bride by sunset tomorrow, I never will. It is my twenty-first birthday. Her magic dooms me at sunset to be her child forever, never to marry and never to be my own man. Maven... 
motioned Midori, who stepped forward, kneeling at the prince's feet. She said nothing, but gazed into his eyes. Erwin backed away. Now stop, you'll be. But Midori, of course, did not change. Maven expected a spark betwixt her magic shielding and his, but the strength of it surprised her, as did the other spark between the two. The prince took Midori's hand and brought her to her feet, only barely restraining himself from stealing a kiss. They gazed at each other, each talking in the beauty of a human form they had never beheld at such range. Even the other frogs sighed in romantic longing. Maven felt a pang of envy for that look. She was much too old for that sort of carrying on, hadn't had a boyfriend since before she came across the veil from real, and certainly not since she became a fairy godmother. It wasn't done. How can you, he asked, holding her hand, taking in her every curve. He had never seen a young woman so close before, never looked so deeply into a woman's eyes, but he was a prince, strong of purpose, decisive. If you will have me, I will have you as her bride. Yes, her prince, murmured Midori. The early rays of dawn shone in her eyes. Maven croaked to get their attention. Perhaps we should go to your mother first, and then have the wedding, she suggested. For her sake, he said to her, I will take you to plead for these others. But only you, as I cannot abide these creatures, he glanced around, uh, shuddering. He handed Midori a saddlebag, touching her hand for a long second. Make a safe place uh, for the witch frog, for we must cross a great desert to reach her mother's castle. You must wear my cloak to shield you both from the sun. Midori lined the leather bag with the dripping moss, from the creek bank while Maven concocted a spell to keep her cool inside the cloak. A steamed frog would not save the day. Erwin uh, took Midori's hand, lifted it to his lips, and kissed her palm as he lifted her into the saddle. He didn't notice the thin webs between her fingers. To pledge her troth to you, I will give you the magic stone, Erwin said, but you must take it off. Leaning over, Midori kissed his cheek softly. She lifted the leather thong from around his neck and placed it around her neck. No, Maven cried from inside the bag. The magic! Too late! Uh, the stone glowed briefly, transferring the protecting spell to Midori and adding the prince to the amphibian multitude. The frogs cheered as Erwin shook his head and blinked, crawling away from the horse's hoof. My prince! Midori cried. She jumped down from the saddle and picked him up. Uh, fairy frog mother, help him! Let me out, Maven said. I can't work from in here. Maven put a short-term spell of calmness on the horse. Midori set her on the ground, and she tried to change her went back to his manly self, but with no luck. He was as caught in the spell as Maven and the other frog women. Midori loaded Erwin and Maven in the bag and climbed back up on the horse. Not an easy task for a frog who has been a woman for only a couple hours, and of course she didn't know how to ride. Maven wondered if the horse had enough sense to just go home on his own. She listened to the horse's story, but he had never been to the Queen's kingdom. Erwin had traded him at a tavern. Rustling sounds came from the woods. Nearby, a voice cried out. There he is. Surround him, men. The Queen's horseman had spotted a figure in the prince's cloak. Quickly, Maven mumbled a spell to disguise Midori. The horseman dashed to his side, scattering his green retinue. You must return with us, your highness, said the captain of the riders, tired from the long chase. Today you must face the queen, oh, with a bride or without. 
Midori said nothing, but the prince croaked from the bag. I will return, but I am fatigued from this long journey and weak from the lack of sleep and food. Please lead my horse back home. With my own hand, your highness, said the captain. The horseman cantered through the forest, leaving behind the group of frogs who were unable to keep up. The frogs croaked sadly in the distance till the horseman reached the broad meadows. Morning passed, and afternoon came before the men stopped to rest the horses and give them drink. Jolting and bruised, Maven, Irwin, and Midori sweated in silence. The captain of the horsemen brought Midori a canteen of water. She took it without a word and drained it, gulping the water almost in one swallow. She handed it back to the captain, who stared at her pale hand. Inside the saddlebag, Maven and Irwin wriggled into the moss, trying to stay wet. Do you have a plan? Irwin asked. He looked sadder than ever, his large eyes pale in the darkness. She won't listen to reason. If she wants her son back, Maven said, she'll have to reverse the spell. At least, Maven hoped that was the case, and she hoped that Irwin would not hurt Midori when he realized what she was. When everyone had been given water, the queen's men started out across the dry plain, barren of plants, as far as the eye could see. It was not just a desert, for there is life in the desert. This was scourged land, rocks scraped dry of topsoil with no relief from the sun, no slight breeze or trickle of water. Magical wards protected the queen's realm, fear-mongering illusions. How desperate Erwin must have been to face his own fears to escape. Maven listened to all the stories of the horsemen. They seemed to be under glamour as well, both to find Erwin and to return him to the queen. They were afraid of their queen, eh, but too afraid not to return with their quarry. That kind of power overtook a lot of energy. Maven wondered how the queen managed to channel it. Midori was not dealing well with the heat, although the spell under the cloak was helping. Fortunately, the queen's wards had a little effect, as Midori's frog-like mind had little imagination. Maven and Erwin weren't doing nearly as well. They were wet, but nearly parboiled as well. Erwin kept twitching, closing his eyes and muttering to himself. Images of snakes slithered through Maven's mind. She knew that some snakes ate frogs, but her familiar was a snake, and it had never offered to eat her. She decided to try imagining cool pools of shining water, dappled in shade and sunshine. The harder she worked at her imagery, the less afraid and more comfortable she became. That was her answer. Fear was the queen's energy source. Fear, loathing, and any other emotion that being locked in a frog's body might engender power, overfueled by the fear of the power, the oldest trick in the book. Maven hoped they would reach the castle well before sunset, as she had a lot of spellcasting to do and no room to do it. She explained to Erwin uh, what he needed to do is to keep his wits about him. By the time they reached Queen Terran's castle, the setting sun sent shafts of golden light into the great hall from just above the treetops. Frog voices echoed as the party crossed the moat. Maven heard longing and sadness, anger and fear in the voices. Plenty of energy to keep the spells going. The party stopped. The captain assisted Midori from the horse, thinking that his prince was weary and weak from the heat. Maven's glamour had faded in the face of Terran's magic. He could not help but see that uh, she was shorter than the prince was and much lighter. But she also wore the amulet. Midori retrieved the two frogs and Maven's wand, which she wrapped in the sleeve of her dress so as not to touch it. She pushed back the cloak from her shoulders and carried Maven and Erwin before her, 
as if she were presenting them as gifts. The queen rushed out to meet her son. Her graying hair hung frizzy around her hollow and dark-eyed face. Her rich robes hung from her frame as if they had been worn for weeks. She froze in horror when she saw the amulet hanging from Midori's neck. I have found a bride, mother, Prince Erwin croaked. Having regained some composure, he hopped out of Midori's hand with a splat on the floor. Change her back. Who dares to transmute my magic, Terran's voice silenced the hall. The sun's light deepened to gold. Uh, magic kept too long, uh, turns on itself, Maven said. You may have your son forever, as he is, or you may let him live as he is meant to live. But choose now, for this day seals the spell. No woman shall have him, the queen cried. She pulled her wand from the sleeve of her robe and sent the spell toward Midori. But as with Maven, it backlashed, shrinking her into amphibian fury. I am no woman, Midori said. She removed the stone and laid it at her feet. She motioned to Maven. See my true form? I am sorry, my prince. Maven removed her spell. They sat in the shadows of the sunset, red light making banners that floated ever higher on the walls, four frogs facing fate. Erwin edged closer to Midori. He looked into her eyes, still the same emerald shade, though much more prominent. Eh, I never liked frogs, he said, but now that I am one, I see how beautiful you are. He pulled himself up to his most regal stature. I pledged my troth to you, and if you will have her, prince or frog, I will marry you. Frogs need not marry, Midori peeped. I am yours, they embraced. The shadows climbed the walls as the sun began to set. Eh, What do you want, Queen Terran, Maven asked. Can you leave your son like this, keep your illusion of youth? Set him and yourself free. Come back to your old life. You have lost me, mother. I will be myself, whatever you decide. The sun glowed through the window as it neared the horizon, the light becoming rosy red. Terran wobbled, first toward Erin and then toward Maven, her eyes twitching. Love is stronger than magic, Terran, Maven said. Love your son. Use the magic and set him free. Eh, let him be happy. Terran crawled to the touchstone, trembling. It must be said in sunlight, she croaked. Help me. She took one side of the necklace, and Maven took the other. Nodding agreement, they leapt to the window casement. It was high, but they scrambled up the ledge. Holding the stone up between them, they chanted the spell in the last rays of the sun. Polychrome sparks uh, flowed out of the stone, followed by screams and wails, shrieks of joy, and moans of uh, disgust. Every frog maiden within a hundred leagues was suddenly human and uh, naked, uh, wet again, scrambling to get out, get dry, and get away, and get dressed. Except Terran, Midori, and Maven. Prince Erwin scooped up Midori in his hand and looked deeply into her eyes once more. He kissed her, stroking her head and back with his forefinger. His mother and Maven spoke together to complete her transformation. Erwin did not release her, but held her close as she transformed, letting her slide from his hand to stand on her feet. The full moon rose as the sun set and the damp dew fell. The magic desert disappeared in the darkening twilight as the moat spread its water out to meet the distant forests. It was a good night eh, to be a frog. What about us? Being a frog didn't seem so bad, Terran said. I'm too old to start being green, Maven hopped down to retrieve her wand. Not something to be left lying around. When Terran followed, she dragged the stone down from the window, shattering it on the castle floor. 
Yeah, get you one, quickly, Maven said. Let's grind this stone into dust, sprinkle ourselves with it, and maybe we can change each other back. Maven showed Terran how to ride the wand and leap into the air. They called in a tiny dust devil to swirl the broken pieces, magically grinding them into sparkling dust which stuck to their skin. They said the transformation spelled together and emerged fairies again, gossamered and winged. What happens to rogue fairy godmothers, Terran asked as she fluttered around the great hall. I don't know that I want to go back to saving the youngest and goodliest from the evils of society. Fiona mentioned counseling, but the last time she counseled me, I spent a couple of cycles living under a bridge as a troll. Fiona's still in charge? Terran made a face. Maven nodded. Eh, so much for that. Don't you think we can find some good to do? I know I've had enough of Cinderella's and Sleeping Beauties. Let's find some uh, older women in distress. Yeah, or some older men. They flew out into the golden moonlight in search of adventure. That was Maven's Fractured Fairy Tales by Charlotte Henley Babb. Charlotte Babb began writing when she could scribble her name on a chalkboard. Although she sometimes mistook chocolate for Charlotte at the drugstore ice cream counter, she brings to any project a number of experiences, including work as a web designer, technical writer, washing machine gasket inspector, cloth store associate, yeah, girl Friday, computer tech, and telephone psychic. She has studied the folk stories of many cultures and wonders what happened to ours. Where are the stories for people over 20 who have survived marriage, divorce, child-rearing, education, bankruptcy, widowhood, and love's last kiss? She writes them. If you've enjoyed these stories, you can find other Maven books like Pumpkin Eater, Maven Fairy Godmother Through the Veil, a novel, and for adult audiences, The Adventures of Silicon Jones. <laughs>